0: We have been talking about a lot of big concepts over the last two or three weeks, and uh, they all have to do with the Father's love, so that's a good place to be. But we've been talking about big things and challenging concepts. I know that they're challenging because of all the side conversations that that they erupt. We've also been talking about uh, these same type of issues on Wednesday night at our uh, book study and discussion group, and so, you know... That's where it really gets going, because we can actually talk and, and, and twist and turn and work through some of these issues. And so it's been great, because these are the questions, and these are the concepts that we need to wrestle with, because God's love is so immense, it's infinite, and so we'll never really get our arms all the way around it in this life, but starting to get a sense of how deep the rabbit hole goes, starting to get a sense of that this is not the familiar thing that I am expecting, is part and parcel to being able to break out, to lay down the things we think we know and really move forward with God. If you analyze Jesus' ministry, this is exactly what he was doing with his people and exactly what he's doing with us as preserved in the New Testament. He is working with us to try to break through the familiar things that we think we know and out into this next open space, and then the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that. And so for us to be able to to wrestle with some of these things is really important. However, at the same time, some of these concepts, if they they stay kind of abstract, then they really don't get down to where we need to go in day-to-day life we really need to be able to wrestle with the concept but then bring it right down and apply it somehow into our lives so that it gets into our bloodstream it really gets to where it is informing our daily choices and changing ingrained attitudes and changing the nature of our relationships so today what i wanted to try to do is to get a little bit more specific get a little bit more concrete and and see what we can along these same lines, along these same themes, drill down and see if we can we can make it specific enough that when we walk out of that door, we can start to use some of these in, in daily choices. You know, if I asked you this, could you tell me what you think Jesus' main purpose was in his ministry? What was the, the core of his message and his main purpose? You can yell out if you want to. Teach us how to love one another. That's good. The kingdom is already here. here. She read the notes. Anything else? (laughs) Twelve years, I know. Almost. Yeah. Teach us who the Father Father is. Absolutely. Hasn't been a wrong answer yet. To love one another. All right. You see a a, a pattern forming, you know, a, a theme going here. Every single one of those answers is correct. Every single one of those answers is saying the same thing. To show us the Father, to to teach us how to live in kingdom, uh, to to help us to love one another, however you want to phrase it. It's all the same thing. But the way Jesus phrased it was very specific. Let's take a look at Luke 4. And uh, we're going to ask Jesus what his main purpose is. Starting at verse 40, while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. This is Jesus, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. He's in Capernaum right now. He's actually in Simon Peter's house. He just healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and uh, and and now everybody is coming and just there. You can just imagine them lined up down the street, right? You can just imagine them just crowding into the household, and this is just as the sun is going down. And many, uh, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. And when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said, I must, must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Can't get any more specific than that. What is Jesus' purpose? To preach the kingdom of God. Absolutely, preaching the kingdom of God. Which is one of the answers just now. But every one of those is really saying the same thing. If you've been here at all, you've probably heard us go through the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the the fulcrum, if you will, of all of Jesus' teaching. It's the core, it's the framework on which he hangs all of his teaching. If we don't understand the concept of the kingdom of God, then we're really lost, because he's hanging everything on that one image. Everything is working with that. So the quick review is, in Aramaic, in the the language that Jesus spoke, his home language, the kingdom of God will be Malkuthah Malkutha Laha, which is the kingdom of God. But in a very specific way, because Malkutha doesn't refer to a place. Literally, it could be translated best as the reign of the king, R-E-I-G-N. It could be understood as the principles by which the king rules or reigns. It's referring to a, a real symbiotic relationship between the king and his people, Where they're acting as one, functioning as one. And so the main thing for us to take away, based on the language itself, is that the kingdom is not a place. All right? That's the first thing. This was so counterintuitive to the people that Jesus was teaching in that first century um, Israel, because they expected the kingdom to be a political literal kingdom, that a Mashiach, a Messiah was going to come who was going to be a political warrior and he was going to reestablish the sovereignty for the state. So they understood it that way. This is why Jesus spent so much time trying to redefine the kingdom for them. All the parables that he used, all of the different imagery he used, trying to get this across, it's not a place. For us, 2,000 years later, we imagine it to be heaven of the afterlife, primarily. That's the way we think of it. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, two ways of saying the same thing. And so we have to also heed Jesus repeated attempts to redefine kingdom so that we don't imagine it to be a place in the afterlife as opposed to a place right here. But is that all we get? Is there are there any more clues to what the kingdom is? Yes, there's more. Take a look at Mark 1:15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand; repent and believe in the gospel. That's right out of the word-for-word translation of the New American Standard Bible. Trouble is with that, is that there are several words there that can be translated differently in the Aramaic. And we need to pay attention to those variations because they make all the difference in the world. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That word that is translated at hand in Aramaic means already arrived. Very different. It is already arrived. Repent, we think of that as having some sort of a. a, a contrition, remorse, regret. It simply means a change of direction. You're going this way. You're thinking this way. You change direction. And believe cannot ever be separated from trust. Believe is not just mental assent, not just mental agreement. Believe, biblically, always involves three parts. Belief, which is an idea, that is strong enough to lead to faith, which is the action that we take, which then gives us the experience that leads to trust both in the Greek and in Aramaic, the words used there contain all three elements. And so look at the way that Eugene Peterson translates that in the message. He says, time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Not bad. Not bad. Now the way I would translate it, if it were up to me, the waiting is over. The kingdom is now. Turn to face it and trust the message is true. All these are the same idea. But here is the takeaway. The kingdom is not a place. We learned that from the language. Here, what Jesus is telling us is the kingdom is not future. The kingdom is now. It's already here. Then what about Luke 17? What does he tell us there at verse 20? Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now that word, in your midst, if you look at the Greek, it can mean three things. It's one of those all-purpose prepositions, right? It can mean in your midst, it can mean within, and it can mean among. But even more interestingly, in the Aramaic, "legalmen" means moving dynamically from inside to outside. And so what do we need to take away from this? The kingdom is not out there someplace. It's not external to ourselves. It's within. It's moving from inside to outside, not the other way around. We won't find it out there someplace. The kingdom is not a place. The kingdom is not future. And the kingdom is not out there someplace. You know, Fox Mulder was wrong. The truth is not out there. It's in here. How many don't know who Fox Mulder is? How old am I getting here? Ah, the young people. X-Files. Okay. All right. So, if it's not out there someplace, the kingdom, and, and it's not a place, and it's not this, and it's not that, what is kingdom really? I tried to write a really coherent definition according to all this, and let me just read it to you. Kingdom is a quality of life that we can experience right now, from inside out, when... We are free enough of fear, healed enough of trauma, compulsion, paralysis, the inability to see or hear, to be able to be vulnerable, humble, and grateful enough to connect completely with each other and with unseen spirit. Kingdom is the quality of life that we can experience right here and right now. When we're free from the fear and healed, from all of our past trauma. Why did Jesus spend so much time healing people? Because he was getting them to the place where they would be free enough to be able to enter into this quality of life, this state of being, right here and right now. This is so important for us to understand. So there are three attributes. Not a place, not future, not exterior. It's an interior state of being right now. And yet, Jesus speaks about entering the kingdom. Okay, this is going to add more questions, right? How do you enter the kingdom? What does this all mean? (laughs) How how are we going to parse this? Um, I was talking to someone, had a really great conversation with someone the other day, and one of the things that he was talking about was that he feels he has entered the kingdom and it's changed everything. Changed everything about his life, changed the way he looks at things, changed the way he sees stuff. You know, it's almost like the lights have been turned on and he's seen things anew and his senses are are different. And so he's feeling now that he's in kingdom that things are different. And as he was talking, you know, more and more about this changed state of, of being, I asked him a question. How many times do you enter kingdom? And his first reflexive answer was once. And then he stopped and he said, you know, Actually, no one's ever asked me that question before. I have to think about this. And it was it was fascinating to watch him start to process out loud as he was thinking about this and thinking about the way that he was experiencing his last few weeks or months or whatever and watching him go through the process. Because what I was trying to lead him toward or see how he felt about was that if we especially are thinking that kingdom is a place, then we enter once, don't we? We enter once, and then it's a solid state from there. We enter once, and we're in. But even if we are starting to come to the realization that kingdom is not a place, and it is really a state of being, there still is that notion that we're going to enter once, and then we're going to have this solid state of being, that we're going to be in kingdom now, and everything is going to be different. Is this what Jesus is trying to show us? Because maybe there's a fourth attribute that Jesus is trying to show us as well. Let's go back and reread Luke 4 at verse 40 and just take a look at it from a different point of view. When the sun was setting, all those who had anybody that they needed to have healed, they started bringing him to Jesus. He is healing people. He is casting out demons. He is doing all this work until sunrise. He is doing it all night long. And then, what does he do? Somehow he slips out and he gets out of Dodge. He is out of there. This is a pattern that we see so much with Jesus. When he has exhausted himself in working with the people, he needs to leave. He needs to get out of there. He needs to go recharge. So Jesus is experiencing, reading between the lines, a moment where he is overwhelmed, a moment where he is exhausted, a moment where he is played out, poured out, maybe burned out, maybe even irritated. I mean, you know, maybe I'm going to bridge too far there. You know, did Jesus get irritated? Yeah, I think so, you know. But he was experiencing a moment here that had probably moved out of serenity. When we imagine Jesus, we imagine Jesus the consummate. Obviously, citizen of kingdom. And we imagine him always serene, always on top of the moment, you know, always being able to be completely balanced. And yet the evidence in the scripture is telling us something different. Jesus got overwhelmed and exhausted and had to leave, get out of the presence. Now the people follow him, of course, and he tells them no. He says, I gotta go. I'm done. He's setting boundaries here, even with them. Jesus got sad, Jesus wept. That was a moment where he wasn't completely serene, was he? Jesus got angry. Jesus was amazed. All of these emotions are recorded in the scripture. Jesus going through duress. Jesus was afraid at the Garden of Gethsemane of what he was going to have to go through. He actually sweat blood in that moment. So, did Jesus experience moving into kingdom and back out of kingdom again? How do we account for this? And I can't answer that question. I have no idea. I don't know how Jesus' experience of kingdom equates to any of our experience of kingdom, being who he was. But what I do know is, is that complete range of human emotion, the complete range of human duress in different circumstances is recorded and preserved in our scriptures. And I think it's there for a reason. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was in every way human as we are and went through everything that we go through. Well, putting aside how Jesus may have been experiencing kingdom, let me tell you that I have gone through all of those same emotions myself. Getting overwhelmed, having to get away, getting angry, getting irritated, all of those things are there. And the way I experience it is not serenity, is not a sense of connection at that moment. Those are difficult moments. And so, what I experience is a moving into kingdom and a moving back out of kingdom and a moving back in. So, what does that say about kingdom? It's not a place, you know. It, it, it's it's not exterior to ourselves, and it's also not a solid state. At least, not in the way that we experience it as human beings. Instead of entering once. What I have experienced more and more I'm becoming convinced of as I get older is that each moment presents a choice. Each moment presents a challenge, if you will. Each moment presents an opportunity for me to say yes to kingdom, to say yes to the connection, yes to the immersion in that moment, yes to the realization of the connection of all things. And when I do that, I experience that connection. I experience that quality of life that Jesus is talking about. When I can lay down the fear that is manifested in all of those negative emotions and allow myself to be vulnerable, allow myself to be humble, allow myself to be transparent, then I enter the kingdom. And maybe the next moment takes me back out. So Kingdom instead of being one thing to me, is more like a string of pearls and I know I've used this analogy before, but it's the best one I can come up with. What's a string of pearls? Well, it's just a string until you start putting pearls on it. but if you get enough pearls on the string, guess what? you have a necklace and that's something. Each moment we have the opportunity to put a pearl on the string of necklace on the string of, of pearls until we hit the 51% mark and then something changes. When more often than not, we are experiencing our moments in kingdom, experiencing them in kingdom, we have become characterized by kingdom. And that makes all the difference. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to have these difficult moments. What happens is, we get better and better at recognizing, become aware of when we have moved out of kingdom. Kingdom has moved out of focus again for us. And then... We make the choice to come back and come back and come back. And we do that more and more. And we do it quicker and quicker because we're becoming more and more aware of the choices we make and how they affect everything. One of the hardest aspects for me as I get older is the realization of the impermanence of relationships. I think when I was younger, I just thought, you know, maybe when you're in high school you just think your friends are going to be your friends forever. You know? And and how did that work out for you? <laughs> but even so, even later in life, there's this, this thought that all of our friends are supposed to follow us through life and we're going to have this big cloud of friends. And the older you get, man, Terry is is a great friend of mine for, for 10, 12 years. And now he's gone. You know, the older you get, you find that People move out people move to Georgia, you know and and, and people die and, and people change churches and and people grow in different directions, and all these things are happening and so what you realize is that your friends are kind of always in motion around you it 's like a cloud of relationships around you, and they 're always moving and changing, and they come into focus for a while and it 's great, and you think it 's permanent, and then it just moves back out of focus. In and out of focus, and if you expect life to be different, then life is really difficult because this is the nature of it. Everything's in motion. I think if we get to the end of our lives with one or two good friends, a spouse, man, we are blessed beyond measure. But I'm not expecting a heck of a lot more than that. You know, it's it's. But then at the same time, knowing this. It puts so much more value on each individual friend that you have, knowing that you have no idea when that is going to go back out of focus and they won't be a part of your day-to-day life anymore. Yeah, I have friends that I don't see very often. They're in remote areas now, and every time we pick up the phone, it's just like we never left, and that's beautiful. But they're not a day to day part of my life. I wish I could just sit down with some of those people in, in Vermont and the East Coast and just have a cup of coffee. But you can't do it, you know? You know? Bill got a job. We were, we were meeting a different job. <laughs> not to imply you weren't working, my friend. We were meeting every Tuesday morning, you know, for, for nearly a year. And, and now we're, we're sketching and scratching to trying to get a, a Saturday or something in. Things move out of focus. He's still my friend, but I don't get to see him. You know, this is the thing that I am coming to grips with and trying to accept that this is the way it is. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is life. And it can be a good thing because it makes our relationships so much more valuable to know that we don't know when they're going to change again. I believe the kingdom is exactly the same way. This experience we have of kingdom... It's not a, a permanent fixture that we enter once. We flip a switch and we're there. But it is a moment-by-moment moment choice that we make. Every moment. Right here, sitting here now. You can be here now. You can feel like you're part of a community and connected. You can feel God's presence unseen moving through this room. Or you could be thinking about how your taxes didn't come out the way that you wanted them to. It's, it's totally up to you. But wherever you are, at any moment that you are, as soon as you realize you're no longer present, you're no longer feeling that connection, can you stop? Can you take a breath? And can you re-engage? reinsert? Do the things that you know how to do that put you back in the thick of life. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. More and more, I am so sure of it. It's our choice every single moment this job that I was talking about that Bill got, he was telling me yesterday because we got coffee yesterday. He was telling me that the job he took is is difficult on many levels, you know, and, and it's hard for him to work with with some of the higher-ups who are just, just basically focused on the bottom line, and, and he's creative, and, and he's just learned that he just needs to keep quiet, keep his head down, and do what he needs to do, you know, because there are reasons that he is there. But at the same time he's pushing the envelope finding ways to be efficient, finding ways to bring real value to to the school district and to his employers, but not only that, bring a good env- working environment to his coworkers. Even his commute, you know, he's making good use of that and he's grateful for it. That's choosing to experience kingdom even where you don't expect it to be. Doing something that you really Never thought you'd do. Didn't want to do in the first place. But being able to turn that corner and make that choice, that's incredible. you know. And that's something that we can all do if we so choose. If we're aware enough in the moment to be able to make those kind of choices. I was talking to another friend, and he said, you know, I have a resentment that I'm not willing to give up yet. <laughs> I'm not ready to give it up yet. And he was kidding, <laughs> sort of, you know. But, but I love that honesty. And I love the awareness that, that comes from making a statement like that. Because he understands what's going on. You know. And of course, the next time I saw him, he was able to give up that resentment. And that was a beautiful thing. But can we become aware when we are hanging on to non-kingdom? Can we become aware when we're hanging on to the very things that keep us from being able to just flow and merge into this I'm becoming much more aware of my own choices and how they affect things. And from the tiniest things, you know, we think kingdom is this huge thing, this huge spiritual principle, and it's going to have these huge spiritual implications and ramifications and circumstances and revelations and all this kind of stuff. But you know what I'm finding? Kingdom really depends on the tiniest, most mundane, seemingly insignificant choices that we make that make all the difference in the world. I got a text the other day from somebody, really hurt my feelings, the way it came across, you know? And so what's the first thing that you do when you get one of those? You all got one of those texts, right? Your chest tightens up, you know, you feel that roiling, and and it's like, that's not fair, that's not right. And what do you want to do? You want to fire off a text back again, which is exactly what I started doing. Yeah? (laughs) And, you know, I want, to, I want to justify myself. I want to explain how I got hurt. I want to, you know, correct the situation and do all these things. And as I was writing this thing, and I'm, you know, one thing I have learned is you reread a text about three times before you send. Please reread it three times. I mean, if for nothing else, the autocorrect can say things you don't want to say. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> but... As I was doing this, I stopped, I took a breath, and I thought, okay, you know, I have rules about things that I have developed for myself, about, uh, you know, how I can best try to keep my feet inside a kingdom. And one of them is, is the next thing that I'm going to say, is the next thing that I'm going to do, will it draw this relationship closer together, or is it going to pull it further apart? I try to preface the words that I say, is it going to help this relationship or is it going to hurt this relationship? Second thing is, is what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do leave this person better than I found him or her? These are so important. And I suppose the third is, is the next thing I'm going to say or the next thing I'm going to do going to leave me better than I am now or was before? I mean, these are the things, if we stop and think about it, they will slow us down, and you can reevaluate the things that I wanted to say were they really going to make the situation any better? Were they really going to make the relationship better, or were they going to blow them apart I mean especially over text, you have so little way of knowing you know so I started editing well i 'm going to take this out and i 'll take that out and oh, okay. after a while I just scratched the whole thing it was just gone. you know what am I doing and so was I justified? Would I have been justified in sending the text that I initially wanted to send? Under the circumstances, I can say, yeah, probably. But what would that have done? If I had sent that text with a tight chest and all of that anxiety and angst, now I would have been continuing to experience that waiting for the reply. And when would that come? 10 minutes? 10 hours? 10 days and now i'm wondering okay now i really blew it because they're not talking to me anymore and you know and and you stay in that place that place of non-kingdom that place of anxiety and tension you know and then the volley comes back and maybe it's negative maybe it's this maybe it's that but then you're going back and forth and all of that time all of that expenditure is non-kingdom how do you know because you're a mess inside you're tense inside you're feeling the loss of connection to have not done that. It just all lays down, right? They can reply. They can, you know, you can send a really affirming text and see what comes back, or you send nothing. I mean, it's your choice. But if you make the choice for kingdom, everything changes. In the final analysis, it is so much easier to be gracious. It's just so much easier to be gracious. Now, what do we mean by gracious, anyway? Well, it comes from the word grace, right? And grace is typically defined as the unmerited favor of God. Well, it is favor. It is showing favor to someone. But it's also showing kindness. It's showing courtesy. It's showing compassion. It's showing benevolence. It is wishing deeply enough that you're willing to act for the good of someone else, to leave them better than you found them to not do anything that would weaken the relationship that you have with them, no matter how casual, it doesn't really matter. It is so much easier to be gracious. Now, the caveat, it may not feel that way in that moment. <laughs> in fact, the hardest thing in the world may be to swallow that lump in your throat and be gracious. But moving forward, how much energy does it take to hang on to that resentment over time? And what is the toll that it takes on you to hang on to that resentment, that tension, that angst, over time? We have to count the cost here, which is exactly what Jesus told us to do, and realize being gracious is so much easier if we can just do that. Now, there are times, and you're probably thinking about this right now, that we need to send that corrective message, don't we? There are times that we've got to do that. Love requires that we do that. But that's usually with relationships that are ongoing and close, not the more casual ones. It's those that we're really tied to, those whose toothbrushes are hanging side by side, or those who pose some kind of threat, imminent threat, to themselves or to others or to you. Then, yes, absolutely, We need to stand up and we need to do what we need to do to remedy those particular situations. But think about it. How often does that really occur? In the vast majority of times, it is so much easier to be gracious and it is so much more affirming to relationship and affirming to kingdom just to be gracious, to make the choice to just be connected to make the choice to do whatever we can to bring the relationship together, even if it feels above and beyond the call of duty, even if it feels that we're justified to do something else. Choose it. Choose it. Choose it. The absolute, ultimate example of this, of course, comes from Jesus. And if you take a look at Luke Chapter 23 at verse 3. When they came to the place called the Skull, Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But what was Jesus saying? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If anybody was justified in having a rant, it was Jesus at that moment. But he doesn't do it. The ultimate graciousness in an ultimate situation is Jesus here, showing us what it looks like. Just laying it all down and continuing to be who he was, a kingdom resident, even though. So, if God really is love, the scripture tells us that God is love, but if he really is love, he doesn't do it, not do it, withhold it, play around with it. He is love. He is the manifestation, the personification of what we call love, unity, connection. And if love is expressed in grace, then love is grace. And as the Hebrews called it chesed, which means loving kindness, that was what God personified, was this loving kindness, this grace. So if God is love and love is grace, or loving kindness and and graciousness, then the kingdom of God is really the kingdom of grace. For the kingdom of graciousness. And we will enter kingdom every time that we choose to be gracious, to be kind, to be civil, to be benevolent. And when we learn how much easier it is to be gracious, then we have put enough pearls on our string to become characterized by kingdom and characterized by graciousness. So the choice is quite simple. Sometimes it's really difficult. But every moment, can we choose graciousness? Can we choose to enter back into the quality of life that Jesus calls the Kingdom of God, that was His base purpose for even being with us, and experience everything that He has to offer? And when we realize that we've moved back, we choose graciousness again and again and again. And we proudly wear our string of pearls. Let's pray. Father, we want to be in lockstep with you. We don't want to be walking out ahead of you. We don't want to be lagging behind. We don't want to be stuck in the past and resentments, and we don't want to be stuck in the future in anxieties and in tension. We want to be right here, right now, walking with you side by side in the same direction, at the same speed, in the flow of your spirit. That's our goal, Lord. More and more help us become aware of when we move outside of that flow, when we start to feel the gale force winds whipping us. When we start to feel that we are no longer connected, as the tension begins to rise. And no matter what's going on, Lord, help us to just choose graciousness. You have been gracious with us, Father. You've shown us how to do it. You did it first. Help us to just mirror. Help us to scamper after You and play at life, the way that you play at life with us. Thank you again, Lord, for loving us. Never let us forget, we can only do any of this because you did it first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand.